I want to, I just want to start this morning by saying thank you. The person I'm saying thank you to will know who they are, but I'm not going to say their name on purpose. I was downstairs this morning before Sunday school and somebody walked by with the, like the salt buckets and just walked by uh, and took that outside and spread some salt. And with things here at, at Byfield as a community, there are so many of those just like small measures of, of of kindness and thoughtfulness uh, that this community is built upon. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm saying thank you to that person. They know who they are. They would not want me to say their name, so I'm gonna respect that in this case. I don't, I don't always respect that. Sometimes I choose not to, but I will in this case. So back in 1999, Tom Brady was going into his senior year at the University of Michigan. Since childhood, Brady had been working to be the best quarterback he could be. He had gone to Michigan, one of the preeminent college programs in the country, to prove his worth. The prior three seasons had been an up and down experience. He was hoping for better things from his senior year. There was just one problem, one big athletic five-star problem named Drew Henson. Michigan had recruited this top-tier freshman quarterback, Drew Henson, and that didn't fit with Brady's plan for himself. How was Tommy Terrific going to get drafted into the NFL if he wasn't even the starter of his own college team? Throughout his senior season, Brady had to share snaps with Henson. Coach Lloyd Carr, this is going to sound insane. I think it was insane. I vaguely remember this happening. He would have Brady play the first quarter, and then Henson would come in and play the second quarter, and whoever was playing best would then get to play after halftime. It took seven games for Brady to make clear he was the better option at quarterback. When draft day came, Brady's unexceptional college resume is one of the reasons he was not drafted until the sixth round by the Patriots. We know what happened after that. Looking back on the frustrations of Brady's senior season over the years, many have pointed out that if Brady had been a more successful college quarterback, he may not have achieved the heights he did becoming the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. Brady's senior year, which must have seemed like a waste of his life at the time, was actually a detour that prepared him for all that would come later. We all face detours in our lives. Times when what we have planned doesn't play out the way we think it should. Detours are a problem we must endure. When it comes to life, the detours we are forced to take often become the situations in which God does his most significant work in our lives. What seems like a detour from our perspective 
is actually a necessary aspect of God's plan for us. Today we're going to talk about detours and how God uses them. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to read verses 17 through 22. We will begin reading in the 13th chapter of Exodus, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by, not, by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. God has set the Israelites on a journey to the land he has promised them. These verses tell us that the journey is not as straightforward as it could be. God takes the Israelites on a detour. He knows the detour is necessary for their development. He knows what they need, so he takes the Israelites the best way to accomplish his purposes in their life. God takes them off of the beaten path into the desert. He doesn't send the Israelites alone. He goes with them. What we will see in these verses is that the Israelites' experience is often our experience. God has a promised land he is sending us to. To prepare us for when we get there, he often uses detours that seem unnecessary to us as we are experiencing them. Although later we can often see their benefit. God knows where we need to be. He uses detours to get us there. The, the quickest way is not necessarily the best way. The journey between Egypt, which the Israelites were leaving to the promised land, where they wanted to go, there was a well-traveled road. It was a pretty common trip in the ancient world. I mean, they didn't travel as much as we do, certainly, but, but there was a way that people were familiar with. The normal route went by way of the land of the Philistines. 
The Philistines, who the Israelites would have so many run-ins with later in their history, was a nation of people that lived along the Mediterranean Sea, north of Egypt. Multiple sources argue that the normal journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, through the land of the Philistines, took about 11 days. 11 days. While this road was by no means comfortable by modern standards, it, it did have some advantages. There were other people if you went this way. The availability of other people meant that there was food, there was water. If you got in some trouble, there could be help. But that same road also had some significant disadvantages. The Philistines had a strong military. They were also incredibly immoral. In the Bible, the Philistines are synonymous with a hedonistic rejection of God. God's reason for sending the Israelites into the wilderness is tied to concerns about both war and morality. The Israelites, they're not ready to go through the land of the Philistines. They will be tempted by the Philistines' lifestyle. They will have to fight battles that, that they're not ready for. For these reasons, God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Nobody at the time would have gone out of their way to make traveling more challenging. Nobody in the Bronze Age took the scenic route. That's a, that's a recent development. All the nature we consider scenic prior to about 1850, they looked upon as deadly. For most of human history, People despised passing through dark forests, traversing mountains and fording rivers. It's actually funny if you go back and you read history of the people in, in Europe, like again, prior to about 1850, and you hear them talk about Switzerland, they're like, do not go to Switzerland. Switzerland will kill you. Switzerland is deadly. So this, this place that we think of, like, oh man. How beautiful is this? They're like, that's certain death up there, people. We stay away from that. Recently, I watched a show about uh, a wagon train crossing the American West in the 1880s. And the show made me incredibly grateful that I have never had to travel this way. These types of journeys were a constant exercise in avoiding death. People who traveled did so because they were either incredibly desperate or incredibly motivated. You, you see the same thing today, refugees trying to travel from all over the world. It's, it's not a good time for anybody. Nobody does it for fun. The desert especially was an inhospitable place to travel. They couldn't even carry large amounts of water. They were dependent on animals for food and transportation that also required water and food. 
The desert had nothing but snakes, hot days, cold nights, and sandstorms. God intentionally sends Israel into a desert wilderness. While the short way through the Philistines land had some upside and some downsides, this was not the case for the route the Israelites were sent on by God. Anyone at the time would have thought they were headed the worst possible direction. They would have viewed the route the Israelites were sent on as suicidal. The road God causes his people to follow often doesn't make sense to outsiders. It often doesn't even make sense to those that are on the journey. As with the Israelites so many years before us, present day Christians are headed to a promised land. We only have a vague idea of where we are headed. We know that we have a Father in heaven that wants to give us good things. We know that we are not where we need to be. A journey is required to get to the good place God wants us to be. The idea of taking a spiritual journey to a promised land isn't a bitter pill to swallow. Most Christians, most of you guys would, would accept this basic as a basic premise of the Christian life. The idea of leaving behind our past, our sin, the hurt and the pain, it's even pretty appealing to us. What is hard for us to grapple with is when God takes us on a detour through a spiritual desert. It often seems to us that there is a shorter and easier route to make progress in life. When we find ourselves journeying through a spiritual desert, it is reasonable to wonder, what is, what is God up to? Sometimes when I'm driving, Google Maps will offer me an alternative route that is significantly longer. Tells me, oh, you, you can go this way, you know, go the way you're going. It's going to take 45 minutes or there's this alternate route that'll take you two hours and 15 minutes, right? And I always think to myself, like, has the alternate route ever been, like, somebody's like, yes, I want this to take as long as possible. And I, please, let me use as much gas as possible in the process. Why would anybody take that alternative? I, I just want to get to where I am going as quickly as humanly possible. Speed and comfort are not priorities for God the same way they are for us. God sees what we do not. There's no point in getting somewhere as quickly as possible if you are not prepared when you arrive. God prepares us through the detours. He uses those detours to shape who his people become so that upon arrival, we will be what we need to be. Traveling is hard. 
the newer and the more inhospitable a place a person is traveling to, the harder it is. I've traveled many places in my life. Probably the hardest place I ever traveled was the Grand Canyon. When I was, when I was 18, you know, I was young and, and vibrant, and I thought I could take on anything in the world. And I backpacked down into the Grand Canyon for, for three nights. The, the morning of the fourth day, I remember waking up. I remember looking up and you could see snow on the top of the rim of the Grand Canyon. And I started walking and I walked for 10 miles back out of the canyon with, with a 50 pound pack, 4,500 feet in elevation. And I got to the top and a, a few hours later, I found myself sitting in an emergency room because that physical experience had broken me in a way that as an 18 year old, I didn't know I could be broken. When we face adversity in life, whether it be physical or spiritual, it forces us to grow. As hard as any physical journey might be, nothing can compare to the spiritual deserts the people of God often travel through. Repeatedly throughout the Bible, groups of people and individuals go into physical deserts that are living manifestations of spiritual deserts. The Israelites go into the wilderness. So did Abraham. David will later. Elijah does. Jesus does. Paul does as well. Traveling through a desert is a consistent theme of following God. He uses physical and spiritual deserts as a teaching tool. There were lessons the Israelites needed to learn. There are lessons we need to learn as well. One primary lesson that all who enter a desert are forced to learn is that we, we are reliant on God for our lives. The Israelites will be reminded of this fact on a regular basis. They like food and water. Without God, they will perish. When Jesus spent his own time in the wilderness, he repeated back to Satan the primary lesson the Israelites were supposed to learn. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Nobody likes the desert. We, we don't want to admit to ourselves we are dependent on God. We prefer the easier road. Everyone wants their life to be a pleasant stroll in the park. How, how wonderful would life be if it were like one of those pleasant New England summer evenings where it's like 73 degrees, slight breeze. Anne and I enjoy walks where we go to Maudsley State Park on those summer evenings and we just walk around our kids are with us and they're, they're chatting happily and we make fun of our dog who's doing something ridiculous. And, and I want my whole life to be like that. Why would I want any adversity. The easy way ends poorly. 
Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Unlike the Israelites, we live in a time where living comfortably is easier than it has ever been. There are an infinite amount of products we can purchase to make our lives more comfortable. It is easy to spend the majority of our lives focusing on how we might be more comfortable in novel ways. This week, I had to spend a few minutes thinking about, do I, do I want a two-toast piece of a toaster thing? Or one that can do four pieces of toast at a time? We can buy new cars, redecorate our homes, and learn to use new technologies. The point is not that these comforts are inherently bad. You don't need to leave here today thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. I'm going to turn my heat down to 56 just so I can be miserable. We're not called to make our lives hard in arbitrary ways. The point is when we face detours, when we enter into the desert, God is at work in those moments. God uses times of struggle to get us to where we need to be in our lives. If our pursuit of comfort causes us to avoid hard spaces where God wants to work on our hearts, we won't end up where we should be. If we do our best to avoid life's deserts, we will never learn that we are dependent on God. Eventually, a challenge will come that we cannot avoid, and we will be unprepared. Often people that have made comfort, the avoidance of difficulties, the central focus of their lives, have a crisis of faith when they are confronted with a challenge they cannot avoid. These people would, would read today's text and wonder what it says about God. That he sends his people into a hard place. Does it indicate God is not as good as he claims to be? Any concerns about God that arise when faced with a spiritual desert subside when the second part of today's verses is read? Verse 21 and 22 says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to forgive them that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God doesn't send his people into the desert alone. He goes with them. Do you, do you know what makes traveling harder? Traveling with kids, all right? Not all kids are bad travelers, but most are. What is the most common question you hear on a long car ride with kids? Are we there yet? I love the audience participation. No, no, we're not there, right? 10 minutes ago when you asked me if we were there, I said it would be four hours. Have we traveled four hours in 10 minutes? No, we have not. 
In these verses, God is choosing to go on a 40-year road trip through the desert with tens of thousands of adult children. He is making that trip longer on purpose because he knows it is good for the Israelites. They're constantly asking, are we there yet? Their complaints are frequent. God travels with the Israelites at the speed they can handle. God doesn't need time to get to where he needs to be. God is always where he needs to be. Traveling with the Israelites through the wilderness wasn't exactly a pleasant journey for God. His love is shown in that he goes. In these verses, you see God's love. When we are in our own spiritual deserts, God is no less with us. God's presence may not always be obvious to us. It would be great if the person dealing with cancer had a little, a little God cloud that followed them around in the day. And a pillar of fire they can look at at night to remind them that God is not distant. That is not how God normally works in the present. Instead, God travels within us through the Holy Spirit. Whether we are aware of it or not, God is with every Christian. However desolate a period you might be going through in your life, you are not alone. God is right there with you. Life is full of detours. Sometimes these detours are the result of our own sins and decisions. Sometimes they are the result of matters outside of our control. Today's text makes clear that God is at work in the detour. Whatever the immediate cause of detours that come about in our lives, God can and does use them. He uses them to make us into what he knows we need to be. Detours are an important part of the journey we are on. I began today's sermon talking about the detour of Tom Brady's senior year. That experience determined the person he became. For us, the results of our detours will often not be so clear cut. It's rarely clear at the time. Often it's the case that we have a better understanding in retrospect. We must have faith that God is at work. We can take comfort in the midst of our frustration, knowing not just that God is seeking to bring about some good through our hard circumstances, but that he is with us. He was with the Israelites as a pillar of cloud and fire. He is with us through the Holy Spirit. God is with us as he uses the detours in our lives to prepare us to enter the promises he has for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I don't know what the challenges, um, what the detours many of the people in this room or, or watching online might be experiencing 
in their lives right now. I don't know what the future hard times will be that, that are in store for me or for those here or for those I care about, Lord. But Lord, we thank you that, that you care enough to be with us in the midst of our hard times. That however distant from you we might feel that you've never abandoned us, Lord, that you are with us that you go through these hard times. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you. And I would ask that whatever challenges we do face, Lord, that you would, in fact, use those challenges to shape us, to draw us closer to yourself, to help us to be more reliant on you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.